Hey folks, this is episode number 45 of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, 4-5. I'm doing a membership drive for the run-up to episode 50 of this show, and you are hearing a message about that membership drive because you're listening to the free public feed for the show. I want as many people as possible to be able to hear this show. That's why there's a free public feed for it. I also depend on the support of people who are able to support it because there's a ton of research and editing and labor going into making this show. I know you can hear that in the episodes, but I, I feel like I should say so, too. I'm also feeling confident about this membership drive. This this May has been the best month ever for the growth of the show, and that's really heartening to me. It makes me feel glad about how people feel about this podcast. And if this membership drive keeps going the way I hope it goes, you know, with help from people like you, we can get to the digital art for all 50 episodes of the show, and then maybe even do posters of it from there. The full details are at sifpod.fun. Thanks for listening to that plug. Now please enjoy listening to this whole new episode. And by the way, it's a patron-chosen topic. MSG. Known for being in food. Famous for being spooky sounding. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why MSG is secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. I have two fantastic guests today, both returning to this show. David Roth is a writer and co-owner at the incredible Sports Politics Life and More website, Defector.com. He is also the co-host, along with Drew McGarry, of The Distraction, which is the podcast for Defector.com. And you heard Dave on the Mustard episode of this show. I am so glad he is back for a whole nother food substance. And then my other guest is Andrew T., who you heard on the very first episode of this podcast, who you've heard on many episodes of this podcast. And I recommend that you go to suboptimalpods.com because you can hear him and his Yo Is This Racist co-host Tawny Newsom and many other people doing amazing audio there. I especially enjoy Yo Can We Live, which is a very upbeat spinoff of the Yo Is This Racist show that is just as fun and just as amazing. I am so glad Dave and Andrew are here. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Dave recorded this on the traditional land of the Lenape people. Acknowledge Andrew recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino Artongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about monosodium glutamate, also known as MSG. It's the top patron pick for the month of May. Thank you to Steve Thomas for that excellent suggestion. And thank you to everybody who voted for this, because this is an amazing story and an amazing concept that needs to be illuminated and shared and understood. So I'm really glad you pushed for that and, and got us here. This is the kind of topic I thought I kind of understood, and it turns out there is an entire 
history and and food chemistry and so many other things to it that uh, that go even deeper. It's the kind of thing where maybe you know one story and there are so many more stories beyond that. And also perhaps some myths to bust, which we will. So please sit back or sprinkle some Ajinomoto on your food from that cute little Aji Panda shaped shaker that you have. Very good job getting that. I want one of those. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with David Roth and Andrew T. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Dave, Andrew, thank you both so much for for coming back. And of course, I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Uh, And the topic is monosodium glutamate, a.k.a. MSG. And maybe, Andrew, do you want to go first? Because we, we, you and I have talked a bit about this in the, the oh, run-up yeah. too. Yeah, I, I'm like both the run-up. So I'm Chinese. I think that's probably very relevant. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, but also I like, I have like kind of like right-ish wing parents who like buy into most of the bad parts of white culture. Not all of them, I suppose. But um, anyway... Uh, they are also people that are like, oh, MSG gives me headaches of oh, Chinese food. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really, it's really uh, pretty weird. Wow. Yeah, they, you know, if you saw a transcript of them having just eaten, they, they do have enough accents, so you couldn't merely hear them. But if you had a transcript of their words immediately after eating American Chinese food, indistinguishable from your average white bigot. It's incredible. Like they're doing like 80s stand-up comic routines. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be hungry in an hour. It's like. (laughs) Incredible. Good for them. It's really weird. (laughs) It's really weird what they've internalized. Astonishing. Uh, But yeah. So that is, that is uh, my relationship with it is we never like used it in the house, except we did because my mom was like. You know, everything was like with the dried mushrooms. I guess that's not maybe MSG proper. Yeah. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But yeah, so that's that's uh, my relationship is like, because also I, I'm like born and raised in Michigan. So like, yeah, I didn't have a moderating, sensible Chinese influence until I was like in college, I would say probably maybe even after definitely in L.A. So like potentially a long time. So my relationship to MSG is closer to like, Again, your average white person, your average unthinking white persons, then I probably should be admitting. That's interesting. And and also, and I, in the round to this was also like, I'm sorry if this is more of the laborious part of your great podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? Because it'll, <laughs> oh. it'll be the anti-Asian racism element will come up. And uh, yeah. So thank you again for doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's all right. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Now thinking about like what it would be like if my equally kind of like slightly reactionary aesthetically jewish parents were just sort of like yeah you pastrami and we'd be sweating for two weeks be thirsty <laughs> right but come on it's those guys and they love money too like just like kind of incredible <laughs> reclaiming the hack comedy done about your culture it's very weird yeah i i don't know what's wrong with my parents really i mean that's largely what i'm on earth to figure out it feels like so yeah yeah i was gonna say like this is what i've been doing in therapy for 20 years it's like yes. i already i pretty much have my own shit. like i know what it is i can't fix it i'm mostly just like wondering what my mom's on about <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 
we're we're in the same boat. We're largely in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. So my experience of MSG was is related to my family, just in the sense that we would every again while we're doing stereotypical bits every Friday night in my youth we would go to the cafe Chinese restaurant in uh, Waldwick, New Jersey, and it was very like you know down the middle American style Chinese food that like I remember as a kid it becoming an issue that or not an issue, but like becoming aware that there was MSG in it because they started saying like, like marking stuff on the menu and then saying, we don't use MSG. And I couldn't really detect the difference because I had like a child's palate. And also because like my parents did all the ordering. So we just ate the same things every week. Like there was no drop off in the quality <laughs> of Mugu Gai Pan. I never liked it and they would never stop ordering it. And that was just how that was. But <laughs> I remember like asking them about it. I was like, should I, like should I be worried about this? Because like, why are they like making a big deal out of it? And I think they were kind of trying to have like both sides the issue to a certain extent, where they were like, it's real, like it's a thing that gets put into food, and often they don't tell you, and that sounds bad, but also it doesn't do anything, and it makes everything taste better. And so like I was sort of confounded by what this like this thing that is good and seemingly also kind of like a bit of a cheat code, at least as my parents spun it to me, but that it was also something that I needed to like worry about, ask about, know about, and be faintly wary of. (laughs) And it was the first of like many extremely like, like those sorts of conundrums that my parents would bring up, you know, about like, like, why am I supposed to believe this political thing? And they'd be like, don't worry about it. Like, just believe it. It's so much easier (laughs) if you just do that. You know, like, (laughs) I, actually, speaking of the metro New York area, one one thing that I'd heard, um, I, I, it was a friend of a friend in college who was like a Chinese kid from Chinatown and was saying in his parents' Chinese restaurant, at least, that no MSG sign stood for this is not Madison Square Garden. And <laughs> we, of course, use MSG. So like yeah. if asked, they'd be like, yeah, we use monosodium glutamate, but this sign means... We're not at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yes, I remember. So later in life, too, I remember having like chef friends rave about MSG. Like it's come around at this point. Like I yeah. remember getting uh, cheese curds at a Dairy Queen in Minnesota once. And everybody sort of raving about how good they were. Like four of us in a car, all of us eating it. Like I can't imagine what the smell was like. Also, we were all hungover. <laughs> like so it's, just, it's bad, like sensory overload to the max. And my friend who's a chef in Philadelphia was like, it's all the MSG. That's why they taste good. And it was like, you know, you wouldn't think that you'd need to add anything to like fried cheese nubs. But like Mm -hmm. I like ever since he said that, I was like, yeah, so it made like one of the best food experiences that I ever had somehow uh, like 20 percent better in the estimate of a guy that knows what he's doing. (laughs) So like, yeah, it's my friend now. (laughs) But also why it's like, why wouldn't you add it? I feel like. Yeah, it's like it just simply makes it taste more, more good. Yeah, I I, that is awesome and i oh for one thing i don't think i told you guys in the run-up that the entire bonus shows about madison square garden it's gonna be great uh, oh perfect. that'll be great <laughs> that's the other use of the acronym uh but uh <laughs> but as far as monosodium glutamate goes i i didn't really have access to chinese food growing up partly because i was a super picky kid and so just any foods that touched each other i was weird about and i was very difficult to deal <laughs> with but i i think i had it for the first time in college and had already heard the good stuff about msg so i, I completely like missed the panic mm. that swept the swept the united states for a couple decades so i'm kind of looking for ever since you said that this is what we were going to be talking about i've been like kind of fighting the urge to 
read more about it because I, I know, you know, from the last time I did this, I learned a lot about mustard, you know, like you're going to teach me, <laughs> but it's also the idea of like, like it really did feel like a panic at the time, but I was too little to really understand what it was. And I had also been like, like I said, like sort of cautioned not to worry about it too much. Yeah. But like, I'm really like curious how it was that people got uh, so upset about this thing. Yeah. Let's get into that. That's the, that's the thing. As the bridge into it, we'll start with our first fascinating thing about the topic, which is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. This week, that is in a segment called... What you're going to do when you get information, I'm going to quote some stats. What do you consider stats? Stats. Factual stats. Uh, that name. <laughs> Someone paid to make you do that, right? <laughs> yeah, that name was submitted by Lowell Blickery. Thank you, Lowell. We have a new name every week for this segment. Please make them as silly and wacky as possible. Submit to SifPod on Twitter or to SifPod at gmail.com. I don't think I did it very good, but that's to the tune of Genius of Love by Tom Tom Club. That's what's going that's on. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you forget how affectless the original performance is. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty flat. You might man. have brought more energy to it just because you weren't on like whatever. Uh, like, <laughs> like Chris Harrison Green Quaaludes were involved in the original <laughs> recording of it. <laughs> next time I'll do that. I'll commit. Then, then we're there. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For our next episode about Quaaludes, yeah. everyone yeah, is going actually, to take Quaaludes. I do think Quaaludes, Quaaludes is up there on what are what are they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they always sounded tight, but it was the sort of thing where like I associate them with like like the Colonel from Boogie Nights seems like a guy that would have Quaaludes. <laughs> so, like, but like that's not like a cool thing to be associated with necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, uh, and there's just two stats and numbers before the takeaways this week because we get straight into the roots of this supposed panic. The first number is 1968. And the year 1968 is when the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a, a very real, very substantial medical journal, they published a letter with the title Chinese Restaurant Syndrome. And we'll talk a lot more as the show goes on about, about what that letter is and where it came from, but... Main source here is a book called Eight Flavors, The Untold Story of American Cuisine by food writer Sarah Lohman, who also came up on the Vanilla episode, if people heard that. The author of the letter was Dr. Robert Homan Kwok of the National Biomedical Research Foundation. And he said that for several years since I have been in this country, I have experienced a strange syndrome whenever I've eaten out at a Chinese restaurant, especially one that served northern Chinese food. And he proceeds to list several symptoms, including numbness in his body, burning sensation on his skin, headache, and chest pain. And the letter, surprisingly, he guesses like five different reasons this could be. He says, maybe I'm allergic to soy sauce, maybe it's too much cooking wine in the food, and on and on. And then one of the guesses in the middle there is Chinese restaurants use monosodium glutamate as a seasoning. Uh, and this is the spark of, of Americans being concerned about it. It is wild to me that there's a letters section of the yeah. New England Journal of Medicine. And that, yes. I presume, is where the asterisk of as print, you know, like found in, a, in the New England Journal of Medicine or published in could rest. Big time. Not published yeah. as a paper. If I'm remembering it correctly, that's something to do with like the way that um, OxyContin was able to market its 
like the time release stuff, all the the scam that basically made it possible for them to immiserate millions of Americans mm. was like it wasn't a study in the New England Journal of Medicine, but it was like one of those like also receiving votes front of the book tidbits, like a letter or like a, a study about a study or whatever. It was like mentioned in a footnote. Yeah, they yeah. really should Man. vet that shit. The, any doctor just popping off about being like, sometimes if I eat something with too much pepper in it, I get yeah. a tingle on my yeah. lips. It really also like does doubly highlight that like a medical journal is research or at least studies within a medical journal are is research conducted by people who are physicians, but are also yeah. scientists and doctors are not scientists necessarily. Yes. They don't have to be. Ben Carson was a doctor, you know, <laughs> like any doctors are technicians that use techniques derived from science, but they are not scientists and you do not need to. I had a nurse practitioner tell me about chemtrails like Amazing. a couple of years ago it was wild <laughs> yeah yeah now i want to see all the the unpublished letters of dr ben carson to the new england journal of medicine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yes just i did not know fundamentally that journals could have these letters sections it really bugs me like like i i guess maybe it helps if you're a doctor to write one of right, these right. but like I have an undergraduate degree in history. Can I just write to historical journals and pop off of yeah. that stuff now? Is that a thing I could do? I don't know. <laughs> this is like this is like getting your letter published in an issue of like X-Men. Like this is crazy <laughs> that it's like it could happen. Like it's just a letter? Yeah. Give me a fucking break. I don't think they should have a forum section either. I think it's weird. <laughs> right. Anybody talking about sexual experiences in there. This is a journal for scientists. Uh, depends on what As kind of internist at a small midwestern hospital i certainly never thought i'd be writing to the forum section of the journal of the american medical association so you're telling this joke i probably off of penthouse forum did not know what the word forum meant until yeah way too like, late wait truly way damn, too late can you say that yeah it's like, well, all the damage that section did to people's brains took a pretty popular word and made it seem really dirty yeah like i don't know when but way too late like every game the lakers play and you're like it's disgusting damn, damn. this is not this is not what i thought it yeah well, well, we'll talk more about that letter later, but the one other number here is 500 milligrams, which is half a gram, 500 milligrams. And that is the FDA estimate for an average American's daily consumption of additive MSG. And that brings us straight into takeaway number one for the show out of three. Takeaway number one. You probably consume MSG or the equivalent of it most days. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is one of many reasons folks do not need to panic about MSG. Like if you're if you're an American or someone in most other countries, you're kind of eating it all the time and you were not aware of it. Yeah. Is it in like snack foods and stuff? Like where how am I getting my MSG every day? You're kind of getting it no matter what your diet is, is the other amazing part. Okay. To lay down the basics of it, MSG is an acronym. It stands for monosodium glutamate. And the food writer Helen Rosner wrote an amazing piece about it for The New Yorker in 2018. And she has a really good description of this compound. It's, quote, monosodium glutamate is a compound molecule. 
glutamate, the amino acid responsible for the mysterious deepening of flavor, is stabilized by sodium, becoming something flaky and sprinkleable like a fine pearlescent salt. End quote. So it's really just, it's an amino acid plus a salt. It's added to foods, and it's also naturally in a bunch of foods. You, you can't live like an MSG-free life in any ways I can discover or think of with the research. It's coming your way. Right. It's like tomatoes and Doritos. More or less, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's in everything, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's just also, that makes it weirder that people were ever, I mean, I guess it's just like, Whatever. If you knew everything about everything that was happening right. uh, around you and to you every day, you'd be like Julianne Moore and safe or whatever and just like living in an igloo, <laughs> picking at your own face and uh, being terrified. So like, yeah, this makes some great movie, though. We love it. Uh, but it's like, I guess maybe uh, one of those the less you know type of scenarios. Yeah. I mean, shout out to Julianne, well, obviously, or it's like- but, uh, but otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> oh, love her work. Yeah, but I actually am filling in for Todd. Like Alex had already booked Todd Haynes for this slot. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's right. It's like the the like salience of it. Like like when you don't know that it's in Doritos or like every seaweed is packed with it, and then you're, you're like, oh, oh my god, they're adding it. Yeah, yeah. Especially, it's, I imagine like once you start finding out that it's in all the things you like, like yeah, that's where you either do the the Julianne Moore thing, or you're just sort of like, ah, like a newest understanding of why Doritos have pleased me for my entire life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's it. It's like, it's like, so like, oh, I get headaches from when after I Chinese food, it's like, well, you don't from Doritos. So it's not the MSG. Like, yeah. could not be more straightforward. <laughs> and yet. Yeah, with the, with this research, I like discovered my childhood connection to MSG, which is, again, an incredibly picky kid. <laughs> I was to the point where I wouldn't eat pasta with tomato sauce. I wouldn't do that. And so I would eat plain pasta with a bunch of Parmesan cheese dumped on it. Wow. And it turns out Parmesan cheese has the most natural glutamate with the most natural chemical MSG of basically any food that is not put together <laughs> by man. It's it's loaded with. So I was just like piling MSG onto pasta and that was my food as a child. <laughs> I mean, you could do a lot worse, like, honestly, like, as far as that goes, but... It's pretty good. That makes sense, though, I guess, because, like, the little... It's those, like, crystals in the long-aged Parmigiano-Reggiano or, like, any, like, cheese that's aged a really long time. Like, it has those, like, structures in it that are almost, like, sort of hard and crystalline or whatever the... Helen Rosner always uses good words, pearlescent. Yeah. Is, like, that's the word for it, right? Yeah, that's right. She says glutamate also occurs naturally in aged hard cheeses, tomatoes, mushrooms, seaweeds, fishes, fish sauces, and also a lot of savory condiments like Marmite and Worcestershire sauce. Yeah. It's all over. That's what ketchup is, too. Ketchup is basically Americans putting on a f-ing lot of MSG. I was also way into that. That's, that's, I was, I was, I was an MSG. That's fan. that taste. Yeah. That's that taste <laughs> that you love. Yeah. <laughs> The other amazing thing about the glutamate part, the G in it, Sarah Lohman says, quote, glutamate is unbounded glutamic acid, which is one of 20 amino acids on the planet that make up all proteins. Glutamic acid and free glutamate are in our bodies. Our muscles are 17% glutamic acid, end quote. And that's not to say every part of your body is edible or something, but it is like around it's not it's not a substance that has only been artificially put into one culture's food (laughs) that would be bonkers to trick you as a as some sort of prank yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> blend uh, and so MSG again it's naturally in a bunch of stuff parmesan cheese according to the guardian has 12 milligrams of glutamate per one gram and i'm kind of using MSG and glutamate interchangeably but that's that's the the thing it's what it is um well i and, think that's also reasonable because it's like it's sodium and glutamate and those are the pieces so if yeah you have sodium in your diet and that doesn't bother you then allegedly glutamate is the problem so like that's right yeah yeah. So you're fine. Sorry, I did a, I did a, I did a shruggy face, a sarcastic yeah, shruggy face. Yeah, it's not a visual medium, <laughs> but I think the... it was implied strongly. <laughs> that <there> was... <laughs> this is, Zoom, Zoom is the best, fellas. I'll do, I'll do a pickup <laughs> later of me saying shrug, and that'll go in. That'll fit in. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and so the other thing is, a lot of food companies add MSG to your food, because I don't I, I don't know if I've fully laid out that MSG makes things taste more savory. It's a very delicious thing. <laughs> and so the that last step, about 500 milligrams of additive MSG in, in the American's daily diet, that's being added beyond what's already in the tomatoes and the mushrooms and the cheeses and everything else. Mm-hmm. They've been doing it forever. Sarah Lohman says that the 1970s, because of this 1968 letter, that's when you start to see U.S. Chinese restaurants put up those no MSG signs. Meanwhile, in 1976 alone, U.S. food makers manufactured 50 million tons of MSG, putting it in everything from Kraft to KFC. Yeah. So everyone in the country ate it all the time, and then one type of restaurant run by one group of people was forced to stop. <laughs> I, I Again, I will just say, they, I truly believe they, they didn't stop. Um, I, I, I think, think those good. signs are simply lies because it, it is pretty stark, like especially like restaurant American Chinese food. It does not taste nearly as good without MSG. Oh, yeah. And it is good. I think they're absolutely within their rights to not stop either. It's like you just decided to worry about this like out of nowhere after we'd been doing it for so many like decades. Like, fine, like we'll make it so you don't have to worry about it. But like, yeah, we're not going to make the food worse because you got scared for some yeah well and also there's the difference of like we don't add like chemically created msg but like again it is impossible to make human food without (laughs) you know some naturally occurring msg in it so like it's not true that if it's food it has some msg in it so what does that sign mean and again yeah right (laughs) we're not we're not at madison square garden (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the another amazing thing is Helen Rosner says that a lot of the MSG in U.S. processed foods gets called euphemisms that they are legally allowed to call it, which is a, a great trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in particular, if you see hydrolyzed soy protein or also <laughs> autolyzed yeast, that's MSG. It's just a fun name that they picked and are getting away with. <laughs> What is, and it's um, fine, but most, they're getting away with it. Most like bouillon cubes are mostly MSG. Uh, yeah, right? that's, what, <laughs> that's why it's good. When I was a little kid, I used to, I used to like eat them, like not all of them at once, but like my parents had just them. A, they were just used a little them. lick, little lick on the bouillon cube. Yeah, Your mouth and my parents fills didn't. They, with, oof, yum. they never had snacks in the house, so I was like just sort of going through the cupboard, being like dried pasta can't do that, too crunchy. Like let's put this 
like sinister looking black square in your mouth and see if that's oh it's very good okay like <laughs> it's really good i do i am thirsty quite yeah. quite thirsty <laughs> being, like i smell strongly of beef bones like enough that like i can't conceal it in any way right <laughs> and that's another like common reason people would say oh i think the msg in this food made me feel bad is they just ate something incredibly salty and didn't drink enough water, you know? Like, yeah, you will feel bad if you do that. You'll get a headache or something. Mm -hmm. But especially a lot of these, like, rude guys <laughs> will just, like, have their Chinese food and a tumbler of scotch and no water. And then they're like, why do I feel terrible? Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of how vigorously the doctor that wrote that letter to the Vegan Journal of Medicine would, like, decline water if offered to be like, no, I'm fine. Just keep the coffee yeah. coming. I'm busy. Right. <laughs> I mean, there there is probably a world where that phenomenon in the 70s may partially stem from the fact that Chinese restaurants like serve tea and sometimes without water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, mean, I think Americans expect a glass of water, but like a lot of times you just get tea or sometimes you just get tea. And it's like a diuretic on top of modified for the American palate, extra salty food would probably make you feel pretty f bad <laughs> yeah i always think about how people in the 70s and 80s especially must have felt miserable all the time yeah just in terms of like what the diet was like at that point like never eating vegetables unless they're like washed in like salty sauces or like yeah. just like sort of right or like done up in like whatever that like proto like jurassic vegetarian style where they're like we cooked this spinach for a whole day to show that we loved it <laughs> you know like it's, but in all those instances it's just like there wasn't like you couldn't get stuff that like was like had vibrant flavor like that was like the most you could get yeah. was like salts and diuretics and different combinations to make you more dry and and like socially acceptable like casual cocaine all the time <laughs> oh, sure. like, yeah, yeah just imagine everyone's breath yeah oh that's the thing i've had this with like thinking about the 86 mets a lot like just seeing you know it's an oh. anniversary season for them and keith hernandez does games for them and these guys that like only like ate steak drank scotch did coke didn't sleep and then got to the stadium and were drinking like coffee that was just rammed with amphetamines because that was normal <laughs> right <laughs> like how upset oh, your body man. be like, <laughs> oh god it kind of explains why they kept getting in fights with like off-duty cops like every weekend of that season like wherever they were would be like five guys would wind up fighting with cops <laughs> gotta beat boston right gotta do it yeah uh, they just <laughs> like they thought their ready. body was telling them to drink water and they were like what's that you want me to like punch a police horse mm -hmm. all right yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a, a, another like human body thing is that when they so this letter came out in 1968 and and also the writer according to the journal was someone named dr robert holman kwok who claimed to be an immigrant from east asia but also then a few people started to do studies of msg based on the letter and ran them like in a way that the human body doesn't work <laughs> the the first big study was in 1969. It was a team at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. And they fed massive quantities of pure MSG to a few dozen volunteers on empty stomachs. <laughs> and also the results aren't even that demonstrative. Like some of them showed symptoms after eating 
three entire grams, which is six times the average added MSG for an American today. <laughs> and then others show no that symptoms is, that after is like, 20 grams. So it's not even a that result. That is like chucking down a bouillon cube, right? Yeah. It's like, holy <laughs> shit. You said they gave him as many as 20 grams in that? Yeah, and some other subjects, they gave them 20 grams, and the people were like, yeah, I'm fine. So, which is kind of freaky on its own, honestly. Uh, you can get someone to ingest 20 grams. Like, it's just like an IV bag with soy sauce in it, just plugged into your arm. Like, how does that oh even... Oh, my God. Yeah, just Kikoman on this IV bag. Like, it's, I think it's working. I think it's doing something. It's crazy. Bonkers studies like this were the first, quote-unquote, evidence that, that MSG was bad for you beyond the letter... In real life, it's just kind of throughout our natural and processed food, and we're okay. Mm-hmm. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But also, it's like, that means what you need to do is give someone that, like, 20 grams of salt if you want to control for... Yeah. Or whatever. Like, 20 grams of some other f***ed up thing. <laughs> and guess what? Bunch of people don't feel great. Yeah. Like, like if the <laughs> symptoms are like, I wish I had had less of that. Like, if that's, like, the number one most reported symptom, then I think what you've learned is that 20 grams of anything with nothing else is going to kind of bump people out. <laughs> yeah, because also this um, oh, this Guardian article also, and it's partly because they're the Guardian, they found out what the most MSG-packed manufactured food is, and apparently it is Marmite. So, hello, the British Commonwealth. Marmite, the, oh, the yeah. like, yeast spread. Uh, has 17.5 milligrams of glutamate per gram but also the label calls it yeast extract and and also no one's eating marmite with a spoon as far as i know you like spread a little of it on stuff and you don't do a bunch of grams of it in a weird study that wouldn't make sense yeah like as bad as things are in the united kingdom right now i don't think they've gotten to the straight marmite off a spoon (laughs) like stage of societal collapse Um, this is bringing a memory, uh, of, so I did a college semester in Beijing and one thing that happened, I believe on the first or second meal was, uh, this is kind of a, just an interesting confluence of Americans and Chinese, I guess some white, I think white kid in my program, I assume white kid, American anyway, um, we get to the first Chinese restaurant opening night, opening night, you know, first night of the program <laughs> and yeah. the kid pours, pours himself a cup of tea and then sees a bowl of crystal, you know, crystalline powder, oh. takes a spoonful of it, puts it in his tea. So <laughs> Chinese people don't put sugar in their tea. And this is not as common, but it happened in this instance where yeah. they do sometimes, I guess, have bowls of MSG on the table. Oh, so it was like two tablespoons of MSG or no, because it was like Chinese teaspoon. So like probably a heaping teaspoon. It was a lot of msg and the chinese people just definitely let them do it let them <laughs> awesome. t- take a drink before being like just a, yeah of hot seawater <laughs> yeah just... that's not that's not sugar by the way it's also gross to put sugar in your tea yeah <laughs> just the pacific ocean in a glass what are basically. you doing great awesome yeah uh, yeah <laughs> anyway just truly delightful stuff. And that, so the, another thing I've learned from the research of this is that it's it's relatively common in a lot of places to have MSG as a table condiment like that. Like, I guess Helen Rossner got turned on mm. to 
the main brand of it is called Ajinomoto, and they give you like little shakers of it, almost like a salt shaker, if you want to buy it that way. Uh, and she says she'll just sprinkle it on foods if she wants to, and and many professional cooks do this, and it's super common in Japan in particular. But it's a it's a thing going on. That's that's uh, that's cool that you have the experience <laughs> of it up close, and also that people dumped it in their tea because of uh, preconceptions. Great. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the worst idea in the world. It just seems like it, it's easy to screw up, I guess. Yeah. You know, like it would be not be the first thing I would assume is like these flakes are densely salty. Yeah, it's just uh, like Helen Rosner describes it in particular as like something she uses similarly to a wedge of Parmesan or a tube of uh, tomato paste. Mm-hmm. But you, if you don't want it cheesier or tomatoier, you just make it savorier straight up with an amount of MSG. And yeah, basically, if if you come across someone saying, I had MSG and I had terrible symptoms, like, check if you feel terrible every day all of the time. And if you do, then you have analysis to do and maybe it's MSG. But otherwise, it's probably not that. It's probably something else. I think pro- genuinely Dorito dust probably is the closest to Americans just having... Oh, table MSG? You know, loose MSG crystals yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be so elegant. Like, just a little bowl, like, people keep kosher salt in or whatever. Just, like, <laughs> salt baying that <laughs> onto whatever it is you've just cooked yeah. for yourself. <sighs> All right. Off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Well, uh, from here, let's get into takeaway number two for the main show. Takeaway number two. The guy who discovered MSG also got to make a lot of money off of it. That's always nice. This is it's one of the nicer like industrial stories and food stories I've come across. I really like this. Right. And it's in Japan. So often they're just stolen, the ideas yep. or or yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I guess it's I, great. I assume. Let's 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 it, hear whether it's cool. I I might be wrong. It just seems to be cool. It's really good. Uh yeah. <laughs> and especially coming from this as an American, I, I sort of primarily associated MSG with China and Chinese food. But MSG was discovered by a Japanese chemist. His name is Kakune Ikeda. 
Dr. Ikeda lived 1864 to 1936, mainly worked at what's now the University of Tokyo, and he was the first person to isolate the chemical monosodium glutamate, because again, it's a chemical. Uh, and he was also the first person to connect it to food tasting savory and amazing. Uh, and then he also built an entire business and made a bunch of money. Just worked out great. It's good that there's a fortune that was built off a thing that actually, like, mostly makes people's lives more enjoyable. Like, I know <laughs> yes. there's probably other ones yes. like that, but so many of them, it's like you go far enough back and they're like, no, this guy invented sadness, actually, and his family's got all these houses now. <laughs> like, this is like right. a, kind of a cool break. <laughs> Yeah, it's just one of those, like, I, I was reading about Orville Redenbacher the other day. He just helped make microwave popcorn better, and, and a bunch of people enjoyed it. Awesome. Really good. Oh. Yeah. Real guy. Yeah. Can't beat it. Well, and uh, and so this this discovery, and, and this was a an exciting advance in chemistry that happened around the turn of the century. One spark for it was that Dr. Ikeda went to Germany in 1899 uh, to work with chemists there as, like, a scientific exchange thing. And he found that he he struggled with the cultural difference in Germany, and he missed home. He also noticed an odd thing where specific foods had an underlying flavor that reminded him of all of Japanese food, but the foods were tomatoes and cheese and a couple other things that aren't obviously linked to what he ate back home. And then the other spark here is that he's coming from Japan, which has centuries-old traditions of harvesting MSG. It turns out that the coastal waters of northern Japan are full of kelp, like a, a very large kelp seaweed. It can be grown, harvested, dried, and then cooked into a delicious broth. And Sarah Lohman in her book says that people in Japan have been doing this since at least the 700s AD. And the kelp broth is called kombu dashi. It's was... the basis for nearly every soup and stock in Japanese cooking. And it's full of MSG. It's great. That I was wondering as you were going through it, I was like, oh, that sounds like kombu, but I'm sure that this is some sort of more sophisticated version of it that I certainly would never have <laughs> tasted many times. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's just seaweed that is full of this glutamate and, and you know, and, and the salt because it, it's, it's very natural. It can be added by a, an industrial company, but it also is just in the oceans and our plants and everything else. The tomato and cheese thing is interesting too, because I always wondered where like there, if you go to like... So, I mean, whatever, not every izakaya is going to be like this, but the ones that I've been to, there's like, you know, all these delicious Japanese, you know, bar specialties and stuff like that. Like, you know, the type of restaurant I'm talking about where it's like you can get fried seafood and a beer yeah. and like sake and like stuff like stuff like that. Izakaya is like small, there's, the small plates, right? Like just a lot of yeah, different little things. Yeah. yeah. I think and, for, for most Americans, it would be Japanese, but not sushi. Yes. And I guess yeah. now and not ramen, but like... That, the other yeah. type of Japanese other. food you could have. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like skewers and like things like that. Yeah. And a lot of times those menus will have on them like randomly two pasta dishes, like Italian style pasta dishes. I know that that's like a, a strange, oh. like sort of a fixation in Japanese culture, but it's, I it never made sense to me. Like, who, first of all, who would go there and you could get like all of these different delicious things. And you're like, no, I'd like to get the spaghetti bolognese that you guys have. And like, just bring me that. But there is, I guess it is like a similar flavor profile in some weird way, like underlying in terms of like what you're getting from it. Japanese Italian is actually really good. There's, a, It's just, it's different. It's like a different type. It's the same way Chinese American food is simply a different type of food. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just right. different. Yeah. And it's that's really cool. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that connection to it because, it, yeah, it's all, it's the same thing. And that helped Dr. Ikeda 
uh, discover the chemical basis of it, which is uh, really exciting. To do this, he proceeded to return to Japan and then did his first experiments with kombu dashi in 1907. He boiled it all the way down until nothing was left but a white powder. And then that powder is <laughs> C5H9NO4, which is MSG. There was just one N because N is sodium, monosodium. It's, he, just, he just figured out the chemistry. And to me, the really exciting part, uh, this is the Guardian talking about it, quote, by the time Dr. Ikeda published his paper, the professor had wisely already patented MSG. <laughs> he began to market it as a table condiment called a G no moto, which means essence of taste that same year, end quote. Just built a business on it. It's the best. I love it. I, I do like how chemists in the 1800s is like sort of indistinguishable from any drug dealing idiot that you know. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same thought. Like, so he freebased yeah. the seaweed. That's interesting. Cool. <laughs> I'm glad that worked out for him. So we're going to boil this down. Right. And just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like that was, you got you to gotta go in there with the science that you got. But there is something funny about the idea, because when you were like, yeah. he invented it, like he discovered it. And I was like, wow, this is going to be good. Uh, and it didn't occur to me that that would just be him being like, just keep going. Keep going until we're done. Uh, like when, whatever, whatever's left when everything else is gone is probably the thing. And that's what I'm going to patent. <laughs> like, yeah. Hats off, though. I mean, obviously it worked out. It's just like <laughs> I was I was expecting like more uh, like lightning flashes and things heaving off of a slab or whatever. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the technique is always depressing i mean that that is a thing i guess that's right in the time when chemistry is becoming less it's still basically witchcraft and then yeah. we're still in the witchcraft to lab coats transitional period yep <laughs> the awkward the awkward adolescent phase yeah scientific like discovery it is, we're not actually talking about something different than throwing eye of newt into a cauldron yeah. <laughs> yeah, really it's still very much a cauldron based art at that time at the very least <laughs> well it does and it does the other chemistry thing i'm thinking of is like whenever they figured out that coca-cola was cocaine driven and and maybe make it without it kind of thing. like this is when people are starting to say i love that maybe i should check what's mm -hmm. in it and find out yep. why and he he discovered a positive thing like oh this tasty salt is the good thing great <laughs> when uh, and so this guy dr ikeda he really built the msg industry and profited from it for one thing he coined the word umami he took the japanese words umai which means delicious and mi which means essence taste or flavor and gave a 1912 speech where he said, this is the essential form of savory, just like sugar is the essential form of sweet. It's called umami. He also, he founded uh, the company Ajinomoto, collaborated with a co-founder named Saburo Suzuki Jr., who had a business that processed seaweed into iodine. So they took the seaweed processing and the MSG knowledge and just started producing industrial MSG. Uh, also figured out how to make it out of molasses and other easier to get plants. I, you know, other companies have proceeded to create MSG and do it too. But again, Ikeda died very rich in 1936. Apparently in Japanese schools, they are taught a list of Japan's 10 greatest inventors. He is on the list. 
uh, it might might be worth saying if you're Japanese listening to this, this is probably all very obvious to you, I guess, because it sounds like he's well known. But Ajinomoto is now the top provider of what's called dry savories in more than 130 countries. And you can visit their headquarters in Japan and there's a whole tour. There's a big double portrait of Ikeda and Suzuki looking down on you as you do it. Like this is it's it's I just really like that the guy who figured it out for all of us got to make a ton of money and be super famous because of it. It's awesome. It's great. Also, yeah. Busting out on being a Japanese, rich Japanese man at just about the right time. I was going to say, like, 36 oh, yeah. is absolutely just knowing when to fold them. Like, <laughs> sort of about to be downhill for the rest of your natural life. Yep. Might as well. This is, like, really my last chance to have everybody feel good about me forever. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, in, yeah. like, in a couple of years, I'm going to have to yeah. make a decision that everyone's going to, like, hate me for one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's going to be mad. Yep. And, and they're going to be right or very wrong, but then wrong <laughs> about it. Yeah, that was his rationale. Sure. Yeah, it was like, I'm sure. Out. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> my last, my last great I'm master saying, stroke. Time perfect timing. Perfect timing all around. Yeah. <laughs> it's not with him personally, but there is one imperialism part of, of the story, at least if, especially if you're an American, which is that. Uh, so he's Japanese, does this in Japan, and then apparently one of the main reasons China gets into this industrial MSG is that Japan conquered Taiwan and then like brought the MSG there. They they ruled it from the 1890s until after World War II. And so so Taiwan is sort of a crossroads of Chinese food and then American Chinese food receiving this industrial MSG. So imperialism pops up. It's in there. As, as it would yeah <laughs> how could it not yep when there's one more takeaway for the main show let's get into it takeaway number three there is something strange going on with that 1968 letter that sparked the united states msg freakout. and we'll keep this somewhat brief because uh, uh, one of the main sources for this is this american life which is another podcast so i don't want to just do their thing but yep. it would be weird to not share this story about MSG because it's bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. If you want to do it in an Ira Glass voice, I think uh, <laughs> you can just feel free to do the whole thing. You're allowed. It's public radio. That means that anyone can have it. You own a part of yeah. that cadence. Hey, yeah. Public radio. I, it's mine. That's <laughs> my show now. We made it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, like, it, it's like when you go to a park and you just, Take a big dump on the lawn and leave because it's like it's your lawn. Your part. Right. You know? mm -hmm. Do you do that? I don't know if actually if other people do that. <laughs> you know, but the point is we have the right. Yeah. The right. You don't have to. It's just it's there. It's the option if you want it. But so what? Because the letter sounded really bizarre in the first place. Like what? Yeah. Like how how far up does this go? Like did this doctor <laughs> exist? Was my first question when I heard the letter. Yeah. So he. He's a real guy. We are pretty sure what happened, but there's no total way to prove it. The background here is, again, this is Dr. Robert Homan Kwok of the National Biomedical Research Foundation in Maryland. And it sparks all these studies and so on, but in the chaos of all that, it seems like nobody really like contacted him or checked in with him or, or found out what his deal is. <laughs> and from here, we the story jumps to 2017. Uh, 1968 all the way to 2017, at Colgate University in upstate New York, there's a PhD student named Jennifer LeMessure 
she researches Dr. Robert Homan Kwok. And she finds out he was a researcher and a pediatrician in Maryland. He died in 2014. His obituary is published. Like, this is a, this is a person. Uh, and he's also a Cantonese immigrant and, and, you know, real. And then the super, super weird thing is she got a call from someone named Dr. Howard Steele, which, which also sounds, well, that sounds like a fake name, but this is this yeah. guy's real name, uh, Dr. <laughs> Howard Steele. Um, Dr. Steele is 96 years old at the time. He he tells uh, this student, Jennifer LeMessure, that he graduated from Colgate in 1942. He is a trustee of the college now. And he says, quote, I have information perhaps you might like to hear. I am the author of Home and Quack. Uh, <laughs> and... Did not expect the uh, like last act of Inside Man twist. It's like Christopher Plummer in my head now. <laughs> right, a ninety-six-year-old scheming man. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, <laughs> and so he he gets in touch, and then Jennifer Lemessure brings in a, a journalist, and they publish this big long story in the Colgate University School Magazine. He claims that what happened is. He and a friend had a bet about medical journals having bad standards for, for what they accept. And so he told his friend, I'll send them an incredibly obviously fake letter. And if they publish it, I win the bet. Uh, and, and Steele said, Steele said, quote, I'll make it so obvious they'll know immediately that it's fake. Whole man quack was a breakdown of a not nice word we used when someone was a jerk. We called them a human crock of you know what. <laughs> and so he's claiming this is like, uh, uh, and it's a pretty racist pun, but it's like a racist pun version of human croc as an Asian American name mm -hmm. or, or just Asian name. And then Steele also said he made it extra fake by making up a medical facility. <laughs> Steele said that the National Biomedical Research Foundation of Silver Spring, Maryland doesn't exist. And so he was like, that's part of what I made up. Isn't that great? <sighs> so who died in 2000 whatever then? Yeah, and so then Steele dies the next year. And then okay. uh -huh. the year after that, this American Life investigates it, and they find out that, for one thing, the National Biomedical Research Foundation of Silver Spring, Maryland, is real. Like, it's a place. <laughs> There's a building there and everything. It's actually a thing. And then they find out that Dr. Robert Homan Kwok is a real person and really worked at the foundation. And... <laughs> So so now it seems like Steele is lying. And then they went to Quack's children and former co-worker and, for, and the son of Quack's boss. Their episode, quote, they all said, yes, Dr. Robert Homan Quack did write the letter. His daughter said he was proud of it, end quote. <laughs> so what seems to be the upshot is this random white doctor who went to Colgate just like spun a tall tale in his late 90s in a really wow. really weird and strange way <laughs> so yeah like what's the point yeah yeah like that's you get one last prank in before you die at the age of 96 <laughs> like that's bizarre of all the things too like the like i mean especially like it's weird that he would be like i made up this medical institute and the person that's reporting it is like oh he probably made up the medical institute i guess it's probably made up there's no reason for me to check that or see if it exists or whatever like you could just yeah. do a web search by 2017 like just google it that's, yeah it's it's yeah. probably some huge building like it, you can't make that up i think the real story is as we all know doing research 
sucks. Oh, and, yeah, pretty bad. Oh, don't do it. Let's yeah. just pass up. Yeah, someone told you something, just tell everyone else. Yeah, sometimes you might want to print the legend. If Howard Steele calls you and he's like, I have information regarding a letter to the National Journal of the American Medical Association. And now that I have killed Iron Man, I will yeah, right. I was gonna say. <laughs> divulge. Like you take the call when someone says it's Howard Steele, and then right. the rest of it is like, so what do you want to talk about? Like I yeah. just <laughs> I'm just happy you called. Doctor Steele. <laughs> right. How's your space laser? I don't know. You seem like the guy yeah, right. who would do that. <laughs> Yeah, and I also, and I think this also plays into like part of the MSG freakout was driven by just just people being xenophobic on, on top of racist, right? So nobody bothered to check with the writer of the letter to the point where this <laughs> old random guy could could pretend it was all a, a fake right. thing, right? It's a really it's layers on layers of people being weird. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. So the letter's real and MSG's probably fine. I think it, it, the other weird thing about it is that this guy really, really seemed to think he had a bad time with MSG. That seems yeah. to be a real belief of a guy, even though it's not accurate. A lot of the stuff that he's talking about in terms of like a tingling sensation or like, to me, that's just like, it's Szechuan food, right? Like he's describing a reaction <laughs> to peppercorns was my first thought. Like, <laughs> it could be, yeah. Which is like, yeah, like I eat too much of it and like I feel really good and a little euphoric, but then I get thirsty and my lips tingle. <laughs> like, I know, dude, like I'm, that's like the first thing I'm going to do when I'm inoculated is like go have that exact experience <laughs> on purpose. Right. I was going to say, or like celiac or something, but people with actual oh, yeah, gluten yeah. allergies, yeah, you know. Right. But again, it is like, right, like a, a lot more foods would, would have that thing. And and also, if all your terrible symptoms are from just one guy, he could be having like a heart attack or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, it could be right. a stroke or. Uh... <laughs> Does anyone else get numbness in their left arm whenever they eat a sandwich? <laughs> just don't. Any letter that was written to a publication in 1968, just don't read it. Like, you're, whatever you learn from it is probably going to be wrong. But also, what are you doing, New England Journal of Medicine? Yeah. Started this whole thing just because you needed to let this guy pop off. That is the main episode for this week. My thanks to David Roth and Andrew T for diving into this topic. Man, there is a lot to it. And it's something that, you know, hopefully people understand better. It, you know, whether it's from this show or just from generally finding out what's going on, that would be a really good thing. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is the strange six different versions of Madison Square Garden. As we said on the main show, that building gets called MSG. Also, it has a completely bizarre story and origin and everything else, and you get to hear about that on the bonus. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than three dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. 
And thank you for exploring the original MSG, monosodium glutamate, with us. Here is one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, you probably consume MSG or the equivalent most days. Takeaway number two, the guy who discovered MSG also got to make a lot of money off of that. And takeaway number three, there is something creepy going on with the 1968 letter that sparked the United States MSG freakout. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. David Roth is a writer and co-owner at Defector.com. He is a co-host of the Distraction Podcast, along with Drew McGarry. That whole operation is doing media right and and doing a lot of really important things with the the issues they cover and the, the fun they have doing it. So please check it out. And then Andrew T. is also doing media right in his own way. He and his co-host Tawny Newsome make an amazing podcast called Yo! Is This Racist? And then they make a whole bunch of other podcasts and shows at their network Suboptimal Pods. That's suboptimalpods.com because it's optimal to subscribe to. You get it. Highly, highly recommend everything they're doing there. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great article in The New Yorker, it's called An MSG Convert Visits the High Church of Umami, and that is by Helen Rosner. Another great article from The Guardian, it's called If MSG is so bad for you, why doesn't everyone in Asia have a headache? Which is a, which is a really good title. And that is by Alex Renton. And then a great book called Eight Flavors, The Untold Story of American Cuisine by food writer Sarah Lohman came up on The Vanilla Show, too. Just a really enjoyable book on top of being very illuminating. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken, Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. And I also want to say a, a quick thank you here to a bunch of you, because not only, you know, you're listening to the podcast, thank you, but also a lot of you sent very nice comments or messages or replies to social media posts I made recently, because, and, and I'm a relatively private person about this stuff, like, I, I want to share it, and also it's for me, you know, but um, me and my partner, Brenda, are now engaged. We're, we're engaged to be married. This is the first thing I'm taping since doing that, this, like, intro-outro thing here. And so uh, I'm I'm thrilled about it, and I, I'm glad for people to know about it. And and I want to say thank you for the nice replies and and notes and everything about that because it's a it's a great thing, and I'm just really glad. Um, and you know, making a podcast is a relatively personal action. Like I share about my life every week, and and you participate in that. So I am excited to tell you this good news. It's it's a good thing going on. And with that, uh, you know, very special note complete. See you next week. More Secretly Incredibly Fascinating coming next week. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>